The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So, Lord, we have seen and sung this morning about your faithfulness and your grace and the way you sovereignly intrude into lives to make dead hearts beat and blind eyes see. So we're praying for more grace now from your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show us Christ, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So our passage today centers around the the sovereign intrusion of King Jesus into the life of the Apostle Paul to save him and then to send him. In Acts, we've been getting to know over the last 10 chapters or so, we've been getting to know Paul as this traveling apostle who is likely to suffer injury and insult wherever he goes for the name of Jesus. But remember, it wasn't so long ago, earlier in Acts, as he traveled, that he was traveling everywhere to injure and to insult those believing in the name of Jesus. And so even in Paul, we have this picture of the dramatic change that the gospel has in the lives of his people. Imagine being all in against Jesus and his people to all in for Jesus and his people. And actually none of us have to imagine because that's all of our stories. And while I'll admit that not many of us have the experience of being blinded by a light on our way to persecute the church as our testimony, and none of us in this room will be apostles, we all have the testimony of light shining into the darkness of our souls to give spiritually blind eyes new sight. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 about our salvation. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Why do you think Paul thought of that verse when he thought of conversion? Maybe his own testimony. This is what we just celebrated in the baptisms we saw. This is what we just celebrated that God has done, that God has done the miracle in these five brothers and sisters of causing us to die in our sins with him and have new resurrection life now and for all of eternity. Paul will even mention his own baptism later in this passage today. In other words, what happens in salvation Is this a miracle? We have to remember it, not grow weary of it, not grow passive about it in our hearts. That God who created the universe, who called all things into being that were nothing before, what he does is make us new creations. He opens our spiritual eyes to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. We see Jesus as he really is. In other words, we're invited into reality. That Jesus is Savior Jesus is true wisdom. Jesus is king. Jesus is eternal joy. And we're saved by his sovereign intrusion into our lives that have looked for salvation and wisdom and joy in hundreds of other places and made us bow to those things instead of King Jesus. 
And here's the beauty of our Savior. One of the testimonies, it was said, I'm praying for more changes. I hope more changes come. They will. (laughs) They will come. He doesn't save us and leave us. Instead, he transforms us to walk into the true freedom of following him. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, which comes right before the one we just read. It says, The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that freedom look like? What is it to be truly free? Well, Paul tells us next, he says, We all, with unveiled face, blinders removed, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. True freedom is being transformed into the image of Christ. And so our text today is a true story. This, this really happened of what God did to save Paul and transform Paul and Paul plants churches and Jesus keeps his promise that he's going to spread his gospel to the ends of the earth. Paul's mission, Paul's salvation, Paul's conversion is part of why we're here in Lakeville <laughs> hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is a true story. This is our heritage. This is our family. And our text today shows us The reality of what happens in every person when the sovereign Lord intrudes and makes spiritually blind eyes see. God does not save and leave. He saves and transforms and sends by his powerful presence. So I just want to give you a fair warning. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, my prayer for you all week, knowing you might be here, is that Jesus would intrude today. And show you where true life and freedom and salvation can be found. And if you're here today and you do know Jesus, I've been praying that you'd be freshly reminded of the miracle of your salvation. It is a miracle that came from outside of you. And that you'd be freshly encouraged that God is not done transforming or sending you no matter how broken you might feel right now. So let's dive in and look at this text. Point number one is a self-sufficient itinerary in life. So at the end of chapter 21, we see that the soldiers who came and got Paul, as they often are in Acts, are confused. (laughs) There's been a big riot. People are shouting lots of different things. And frankly, they don't really know why Paul is there. They, They think he's some other guy who just started an insurrection. And Paul basically says, I'm not him. I'm actually a Jew. And I would love to address the crowd. And the Jews who hated him from when they were back in the church in Antioch in Asia, remember from last week, they've showed up, they've stirred the crowd up against him, they've said he's defiled the temple, and they want to kill him. They're serious about their hatred for Paul. They're not going to give in and just go, okay, we'll, we'll let him go. So on his way back to the jail where they're bringing him for his protection... Imagine that. You have to be brought to jail to be protected from the crowds. That's what's going on here. They allow him to speak. And as he begins to speak in Hebrew, a great hush falls over the crowd. Well, why? Because they've been told he's an enemy. He's an enemy to the, to the Hebrew people. He's an enemy to the Jewish faith. And here he is speaking in their own language. And so right away he has their attention. Who is this guy that's speaking our language? Then in verses 3 to 5, 
we see Paul unpack his former life. And here's what he says. He says, I was born in a prominent city. Prominent city you would know about because of the kind of leaders it produces. I was a Jew by birth. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was perhaps one of the most respected rabbis in Jewish times. One of the most respected rabbis in leadership. Gamaliel shows up in Acts 5, and there it says he was honored by all people. He's the one in Acts 5, when they want to murder the disciples, he says, be careful. Because if you're going against God, that's going to be a bad place to be. And from history, if you study history at this time, we know he was one of the more prominent leaders and tutors and scholars of the Jewish faith. Paul says, I sat under that guy. I came from that school. In other words, he's saying, I was brought up in strict accordance with the law. I didn't just know the law either. I'm not just a bunch of head knowledge up here. I was so zealous about the law that I would persecute believers. I'd chase them down all over the place outside of Jerusalem. I'd bind them. I'd imprison them. I would bring them back to Jerusalem and hope that they would die for believing Jesus. And he makes one more point that's important. He says, I was authorized to do this with letters from the high priest and the council of elders. In other words, I know important people. I am important people. In other words, he's saying to this crowd, you're angry at me, and I get it. Because I'm more educated, I was more passionate, I was more committed, and I was the more powerful version of you. I get your anger, I get your hatred. He understands their rage. He understands their misguided passion. He's been there. He doesn't see himself as better than them. He sees himself as one of them. He knows what's going on in their hearts. Kids, this is so important for us to get. We live in a world where people will not like you because you love Jesus. There's no more cool points in our world for liking Jesus. And it would be tempting for you as you grow up in a church to think you're better than them, or know more than them, or mainly be angry with them. But here Paul is recognizing we're all sinners and we need grace. All the anger you had, I had more. All the education you had, I had more. And it did me no good because I was lost in my sins. Paul knows the idols of their heart and the misguided places they're trusting in for salvation for security, for eternal hope, because he served those same idols so much better than they did in his self-sufficient itinerary of life before Jesus. He spent his whole life trying to do enough and be enough, and if anyone ever got close, it was Paul. He was good at it. In other words, if you're in this room and you think, I have reasons to be self-sufficient, why would I need Jesus? Paul has more. And he says that directly in Philippians 3. You have reasons to boast? I have more. <laughs> I have way more. But he recognizes he was lost and he was blind. And in verse 5, he's marching towards Damascus in his prestigious, proud blindness to bring more Jesus followers to be persecuted and probably put to death. Now it's easy to read the story of Paul 
and go, oh, what a horrible guy, and therefore what a great transformation. But this is everyone before they see Jesus. This is everyone, blind, marching forward in self-sufficient desperation that can never be satisfied because deep down our souls know we can't save ourselves. Right? So you try and you try and sometimes you do good and you feel great and sometimes you fall down and you feel awful. But deep down you know I can't do it on my own. Paul was the best at it with no reasons to doubt himself. So if you're here today and you think, I don't know if I need Jesus. Life is going well. I'm successful. My family's happy. I've got it figured out then you are in the most dangerous place. And I'm praying for an intrusion of love this morning. That's point number two, the sovereign intrusion of love. So Paul continues to tell his story in verses 6 to 15. Verse 6, a great light shines down on him as he approaches Damascus. Verse 7, a voice speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, I just have to point out for one moment how precious and united are the people of God with Jesus. He didn't say, he didn't say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute his church, you persecute him. That's how united we are with Christ. That's how in him we are. That when you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. When you persecute his church, you persecute him. And Jesus sees the persecution of his people and he cares and he intervenes. And he sustains his people, right? Paul was ravaging the church and it was growing exponentially beyond his control. So Jesus sustains his people and sometimes he saves the persecutor. This is a sweet truth as we see the horrors in Afghanistan and as we see a rising tide of anger towards Christianity in our own culture. Should pray for the sustaining of God's people in Afghanistan, we should pray for the conversion of the leaders of the Taliban. That they would have this kind of moment where God would intervene and knock them off their feet and save them. We should pray that if he doesn't do that, that he would, Jesus would sustain his people. Well, Paul at first is not sure who this voice is, but he knows that whoever it is, it's the Lord. I love that. Not sure who you are, but whoever you are, you're the boss. I can tell by what's happening right now. And Jesus tells him his name. I'm Jesus of Nazareth. And those with Paul, it says they can see the light, but they can't understand the voice. We know that Jesus means for Paul's soul right now. And everyone else sees something is happening, and Paul hears the voice of Jesus. And as he encounters the glory of the God in the face of Jesus Christ... He only knows to ask one thing. What do I do? This is is the question that happens when the glory of God comes. When Jesus comes and he means to have you. We saw this question back in Acts chapter 2. They're cut to the heart. What do we do? What do we do? And the answer is, 
repent. So Paul is powerful. We've seen that already in his, his testimony. But Paul knows his place. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And he gets to tell Paul what to do. And so Paul listens. He tells him to go to Damascus and await instructions. And Paul has to be led there to wait because he's been blinded by the light. Probably a physical parable for him about the blindness to Jesus he'd been living in. Then in verses 12 to 16... Ananias, a faithful follower of Jesus, is instructed to go to him, help him receive his sight again, and reveal to him that God has appointed him to see the righteous one, Jesus, and hear his voice so that he could be a witness for him. And we don't get this in the story in Acts 22, but back late earlier in Acts, we see that Ananias was not super excited to go and visit Saul. Why? Because he murders people like me. (laughs) If I show up, and he's not blind, or I show up, and he can get a hold of someone who's not blind, I'm dead. And Jesus says, Ananias, go. I will show him what he's going to suffer for my name. And Ananias knows Jesus is boss too, and so he goes, and he ministers to Saul in this way. With what we know of Saul, what were the chances he would have course corrected his own life? They don't seem high. How many of you are expecting the the Taliban to just turn it around? (laughs) Right? They're doing some PR work to try to make us think that, right? But how many of you are expecting them just to turn it around? Be nicer, guys. Stop persecuting the church. What are the chances he would have gained more spiritual sensitivity or intellectual knowledge to change his own heart? Right? He had all the knowledge. He was spiritually devoted. His life looked pretty good socially. Power, prestige, popularity, and money. So what was necessary to save him? Well, the only option was for King Jesus to sovereignly intrude in his life. Stop his progress. Change his itinerary completely so that he could have eternal life and find the eternal joy he'd been pursuing. And this is how it always works. We heard it in some testimonies today. And kids, I want to talk to you for a minute. Paul knew like all the Bible verses. Paul would have collected all the nights. Right? You guys love your nights. And you should. It's good to memorize the Bible. He had the best Sunday school teachers. You have some really good Sunday school teachers here. You know a lot of Bible verses. But Paul didn't know Jesus. If you're in here and you believe that you're safe because you've been coming to church or because you know Bible verses, even though those are great things, I want you to come to church, I want you to know Bible verses, they don't save you. Not saved because your parents believe in Jesus. You're not saved because your your parents love Jesus. You're not saved because you know lots of good things. What saves you is when you realize you're a sinner and you trust in Jesus to forgive you for your sins. And I want you kids to be saved. Not just know a lot of verses, although I want you to know those too. This is salvation. King Jesus shows us himself. 
He shows us his glory. He shows us that he is what we've been looking for. He shows us his beauty and his power and his holiness so that our self-sufficiency that will never work can be exposed for as weak as it really is. And suddenly the weak-looking Savior on the cross looks completely sufficient to save us from our sins. He shows us himself in such beauty and power that we gladly and joyfully bow to his sovereign love. So the question for the rest of our lives, not just the moment of salvation is, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. I know it's what's best. And that is what it is. It is sovereign love. It is loving for Jesus to interrupt our plans and show us himself. At the moment of salvation and over and over and over again. It is loving for Jesus to take our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh that we can truly live. It is loving for Jesus to sovereignly intrude and show us we are great sinners in need of a great savior. It is loving for Jesus to sovereignly intrude and show us true freedom comes when we bow to him as king rather than seek to rule our own lives no matter how well we're ruling them. Some of you maybe are knocking out of the park. You're ruling your own life really well. And you'll be lost forever in eternity if you don't turn and bow to King Jesus. And so he shines the gracious light of his glory and he turns enemies into friends. He shines the light of his glory and sets us free from our self-sufficiency to glad dependence and obedience to him. He sets us free from trying to earn salvation and other things to gladly rest in his self-giving love. So maybe verse 16 would serve as a question for you this morning if you're here and trusting in your own self-sufficiency. Now why do you wait Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Paul was persecuting the church before Jesus intrudes. Don't want to make it prettier than it is. Beating, dragging away, murdering. So if you're here today and you think you've outsinned his grace... Or you think he could never save you. You think, maybe you're a Christian, you think, I could never confess those things. Oh, that the light of Jesus would intrude the darkness and melt your sin and your shame away even now. Why do you wait? Non-believer in Jesus, why do you wait? Call on his name. There's salvation in his name. Or if you're in here and you're a believer and you're hiding in sin and shame, why do you wait? Call on his name. Come and take his invitation to find rest for your weary soul. Point number three, a sovereign itinerary in love. So as the Lord intrudes in Paul's life to save and transform him, symbolized in baptism as we saw earlier today, dead to sin with Jesus, raised to new life in him, Jesus changes his whole itinerary. Right, literally stops it. Here are my plans. I'm marching this way to do this thing. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're not going one step further. In fact, you're going here, and then you're going there, and then you're going there, and then you're going there. (laughs) So he just keeps doing with Paul. And what's the new itinerary? It's an itinerary of proclaiming and embodying the good news of the sacrificial love of God and the death of his son to a people that were blind just like he was. 
In verses 17 to 21, Paul outlines his calling. He says, a lot of people aren't going to trust me because I persecuted the believers. They're going to know that about me. He was there when Stephen was stoned and he was there as believers were dragged out and beaten and killed, overseeing all of it with joy and zeal. He loved his job. He loved his job. And yet God chooses to send him to the Gentiles with the message of Jesus. The most zealous Jew, the persecutor of the church, going to a people he would have previously thought were unclean and dogs to tell them that in Christ they can have forgiveness of sins, eternal life, and become part of the new one family of God. The Jews don't like this word about salvation to the Gentiles that he says in verse 21. And they begin to raise their voice and say, Away with such a fellow from the earth. He should not be allowed to live. They want him dead still. So we've seen lots of powerful conversion stories in Acts. One of them being the Apostle Paul's. And here is Paul before people just like he was, proclaiming eternal life in Jesus. And apart from a sovereign intrusion of Jesus, this hateful rejection is the reaction all throughout history. Paul ultimately, uh, under the sovereign plan of God, gets out of the flogging by appealing to his Roman citizenship. He's not afraid to exercise that citizenship that he has. We'll see it another time as well. He knows it's not a good thing for them to flog a citizen that had not been proven guilty yet. So he plays that card, and now he's going to have a chance to speak to the council. And one of the points I just want to point out here is that we've seen in Paul several different places a a desire. I want to get to Rome. I want to preach the gospel to Rome. I want to get to the capital city and have the gospel make its way there. And here in his imprisonment and his beating, and now he's playing the citizenship card, he's going to get before the council. And this is the series of events. They're going to get him to exactly where he's wanted to go all along, to Rome. And so we see in this passage Paul saved and transformed by sovereign love. We see Paul then sent by his Savior and King on a new life itinerary in that sovereign love to make it known to whoever will listen. Isn't it amazing that whenever we see Paul speaking, he's just saying the same thing? Right? He's just saying the same thing. I have a God that sent his son to die for sins, was raised new life, and by faith in his name, you can have him too. Just to everyone who will listen, right? He speaks it to Gentiles. He speaks it to Jews. He speaks it to the wealthy and powerful. He speaks it to the poor and oppressed. He speaks it knowing that in speaking the name of Jesus, he will be persecuted for the name of Jesus. He speaks it knowing he'll have trials everywhere he goes. He speaks it knowing it will likely lead to his death. He speaks it knowing that he will fill up in his body the sufferings of Christ as he carries his name. But he just keeps speaking it. Like sometimes, he probably would have felt out of place. (laughs) Have you ever talked to those people that just all of a sudden can just get to Jesus in a moment? The one I've been around who does the best is Pastor David. When I was his pastoral assistant, we'd be at Subway talking about Jesus with a Subway person in like 30 seconds. Like, I don't know how we got there. But wherever we went, in hospital rooms and at Subway, he would speak the name of Jesus. Church, 
We were made, literally made as new creations for this moment in our history and our culture. We don't have to be afraid. We were made for this. You were made for this if you're trusting in Christ. You have been saved and are being transformed by the intrusion of the sovereign love of King Jesus. You are, if you're a Christian, being sent by the sovereign love of King Jesus to let others know they are sinners in need of a Savior, that true freedom is found in glad obedience to the true King, and that He is what their hearts have been longing for. Who can stop an agenda of sovereign, self-giving love? Who can stop that? How can someone stop you from loving them? From laying down your life for them? The worst they can do is kill you and they still haven't dropped, stopped the agenda. So if you're here today and you've been looking for life and joy and comfort and salvation in other places, I pray you consider the true life you saw pictured in baptisms and in this story of Paul. If you're here today and you know Jesus, I pray you are freshly amazed at your salvation. Your conversion story, whether you were seven or 97, is as miraculous as the story in Acts 22. It is this amazing that the sovereign love of God is intruded in your life. I pray that you're freshly stirred up to ask God to keep transforming you. What a great request in that testimony. Lord, keep changing me. Lord, keep showing me more. Lord, give me more of you. Freshly invited to an itinerary of love in word and deed in your family, at your workplace, in your neighborhoods. I'm praying that in this place it would not be us against the world as if we only relate in anger and frustration. How can they do any better? They're blind. They don't have hearts that work. You can see. Your heart works. And not because of you, but because of a sovereign intrusion of love. The difference between us and them is mercy. I pray that like Paul and like Jesus, we look out on the masses with compassion for the blindness they walk in because we've once walked in that same blindness until the sovereign intrusion of love by King Jesus and that we'd be for them as we carry the name of Jesus in word and deed wherever he has placed us. Why don't we just take a couple minutes right now and bow our heads and let's just talk to Jesus about some of these things before we eat and drink with him. Would you just ask the Lord to show you where you've been perhaps trusting in self-sufficiency, trusting in your ability to manage your life, trusting in your ability to make things right and not trusting in his forgiveness and grace? Would you ask him to 
in a fresh way help you rejoice over your salvation, in a fresh way to realize the miracle of grace that your salvation is, and to create in you a new desire to, to carry that wherever you are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family. Would you ask him to help you walk out of fear and anger at what you see around you? Instead, walk in bold confidence and love to those around you. Lord, we come thankful for your sovereign intrusion of grace. If there's any in this room right now that don't yet know you, don't yet love you, have not yet received forgiveness for their sins from you, I pray that right now you would intrude. Show them Jesus. Show them your son, what he's done for them on the cross and in his resurrection. For those that do know you, I pray for fresh amazement at your grace, fresh itineraries of love to those around us. Lord, help us walk out of sin and shame and into the freedom of being transformed into your image from one degree of glory to the next and walking in glad obedience to you, the King, the Righteous One, our Savior, our Friend, our wisdom, our hope, and our joy. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.